Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Well, hello, hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in this week. I am so happy to be bringing you today's episode because we have such a remarkable individual joining us, and that is Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca is a national speaker, host of the Rhythms for Life podcast, and best-selling author of Rhythms of Renewal, You Are Free, and Free Fall to Fly. And now she's promoting her latest book, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning, and it's on shelves and available for purchase now. In Building a Resilient Life, Rebecca writes about how to process and navigate through adversity and reminds us that with adversity, you can either be overwhelmed by it or embrace it. She shares her own personal battles with anxiety and depression, as well as her journey with motherhood, raising four children, two of whom have Down syndrome. In doing so, she helps encourage others to overcome their own challenges and discover their God-given purpose. Rebecca has such a big heart, and she was so great to speak with. I cannot wait for you all to hear from her. So, let's get into it. You know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Okay, so Rebecca, like I said, you 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 have so many you wear so many different hats. Um, you know, many people I'm sure know you for your work as a speaker, as an author. You also have your own podcast that you run with your husband, and you you help people, you know, take charge of their emotions. You help them with their emotional healing and their own journeys. And I mean, given the I don't know everything going on in the world right now, I feel like that's so important. Um, and you wrote this beautiful new book, Building a Resilient Life, How to How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. And I, you know, I just said to you, I read it and I I related to it so much. And I'll get into why that is and, and why I found it so beautiful. Um, but yeah, tossing the mic over to you. Thank you so much for coming on. How have you been? Good. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you know, it's it's that season where you get to really embody the work, you know, you write it for so long and it's like between you and God and then you and God and your editors <laughs> and then you and God and like your launch team. But honestly, the more I get to just put it out there verbally, it's like I'm fully fleshing it and processing it. Cause I, I don't know. It's just like, it becomes a part of you, you know, anything that we write, it's comes from a deep place of, you know, you can't write if you haven't lived. And then, but still, I sometimes find that I'm able to find the words to put like on paper Mm -hmm. or I would have been able to just say it to a friend, if that makes sense. You know, that's why I'm like been a chronic journaler my whole life. Well, my adult life, I should say, because I'm a verbal processor and I try to spare game from the full effect of that. So I'm like, God, you and I are going to work this out in the journal first. So I have a little more like handles of what exactly I'm feeling or facing. And then I'm going to be able to synthesize that a little bit better to take it to somebody else. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I've never gotten into journaling yet. I will say yet because I feel like I need to just, I, so many times I'll like dip my toes into the water of journaling and then I just never follow through with it. Yeah, But I feel like I'd really enjoy it because I'm, when it comes to, you said like, you're very much a type of person who likes to put things down. Like when I'm trying to get through my day, I love writing things down, making a to-do list, putting things. I have my planner sitting right next to me. Like I don't like go with like within five feet without it. Um, I, you know, keep it by me at all times. Cause I like writing everything down and kind of knowing what I have going on, what I have to accomplish in that day. And I think there's something really, um, for me helpful with that. So I think, you know, journaling, I, I should, that should have been maybe my new year's resolution. Cause I didn't come up with one, but oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> well, yeah. And I think of it, it's exactly that, right. There's no rules. I read the artist's way a decade ago by Julie Cam- Cameron and, I'm not even sure if she's a believer. I think she she's a literary professor in New York, but she just 
she has this thing called morning pages. And she said, if the first 40 minutes after you wake, you're most in tune with your subconscious and your natural ego defenses are down. So that's when it's best to write. Mm -hmm. And so it really became like just a stream of consciousness with God. It was like, God, you already know what's in my heart. You're almost prompting me even what to get out. You're actually even prompting me what to say. So it's never like, hey, God, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And I need to catch you up on what we did this week because he doesn't need to see that. He already knows that. Some people can do that. If that's fine. If they want to go back and recall that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do sometimes be like, this happened and it was amazing because I don't want to forget it. But in general, it's more about like, are we okay? Am I okay? And are we okay? And why do I feel this, that, or the other? Maybe there's an unrest or I'm going through a season of like insomnia or like less sleep than normal. What is the stress I'm carrying that I can't quite name? I'm asking more than I'm writing even in journaling. I'm like kind of asking for revelation. And so it's almost like this dance of going like, it's a little bit of a writing and a listening prayer at the same time. Because as we write, if you write for any length of time, you realize that the word, like the story starts to, to tell itself. Like you, you go into writing and this, you didn't ask me this, but you go into writing, meaning to say this, and then about six paragraphs in, you're like, Oh, we're actually going here. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of cool how the, the brain kind of wants to unload and get it out. And that's, we'll get into it, but that's why the first rule of resilience is to name the pain because there's pain we all carry that needs to get out of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And yeah, I mean, let's get into it because there's so much in this book that you bring up that I think, I don't know. I feel like so many people can just relate to it in different ways, right? Like we, we all go through, you know, adversity in our lives. We all have challenges that we deal with and, you know, you explore, resilience and dealing with adversity and and finding peace and all these these different seasons I feel like that people go through you you explore a lot of that in here and I'd love if you wouldn't mind just introducing you know for because you talk about your story in sort of in the beginning of the book and I'd love if you could share just a little bit more about you but then also how this book came about because I know you've you know you've written books in the past and sort of I guess a little bit about your story and then what sort of inspired you to write this book, um, you know, as opposed to others you've written in the past. Yeah. um, I'm happy to do that. So I've written books for over 10 years and the first one was free fall to fly. And it was really just a chronicle of my crash and burn and God's story of rescue. So I had panic disorder for 18, 18 months and God met me there and began a healing journey. And that actually is why I write. I mean, that story, that story was kind of the genesis of me writing the anxiety trilogy. <laughs> it just kind of was like, I didn't ask to be anxiety girl. I was one of the first in the church space to talk about it, um, which is hard to believe because now it's everywhere. But 13 years ago, it was like, oh, how could you be so brave to talk about anxiety? I was like, I don't know. I'm a chronic oversharer. So <laughs> I just had a story I can't shut up about. But that was the first one. The second one was all about the the inner life. Like, um, while I experienced like a external healing, I still had a like a heart healing that needed to happen because all of our, all of our, all of the behaviors that our body goes through is still an indication of the heart. Like mm-hmm. where, where is the heart broken or traumatized or where is there unresolved grief or trauma that just continues to find its way out? Mm-hmm. So God's like, I'm going to heal you of the like raging panic attacks every time you step foot on a subway. But what I'm not going to let go of is that there is like a deep rooted, agreement with a lie from a wound that we need to resurface. And so I can get right in the middle of that. So that was that book. And it was all about re reforming identity as a beloved daughter of God, not one who strives and hustles to earn love. Um, the third book was really rhythms about going, okay, now that we are kind of like neutral, right? I'm not like buried underground. The heart is starting to find like new freedom Um, how do we stay there? How do we maintain this? Because there's always a tsunami of of fear that's always like we just have targets on our back. It's just part of living in a broken world. And so how do we actually set up lives of intention versus reaction so that we can proactively keep those um, things at bay, whether it's anxiety or stress or depression, you know, what, what are the practices, the rhythmic regulating rhythms, which actually really do calm our brain and heal our brain and keep us in the right headspace. Um, they're actually not just rhythms for rhythms sake and they're, they're sacred rhythms, but God made these sacred rhythms in a way that they would actually regulate 
our bodies when we feel stress or when we feel anxious. So they're very scientifically based and scripturally based, which I thought I always want to pair those two things together. And then this book, I think, is really kind of the culmination of those because what we can't change is that this world will always have something that just kind of like a curveball. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be the world of curveballs that just catches us sideways. And I had that in my 20s with my firstborn with Down syndrome, my 30s with panic disorder. And then in my 40s, you know, I think 2020, honestly, was that for everybody. But mm-hmm. like, there's just going to always be something a little more extenuating that's just going to literally catch us off guard because just it's just a broken place. And no matter how healthy or steadfast you are going into that or that you think you are going into that, you've got to build up some reserves in advance to face that. And that's why I wanted people to build resilience. Resilience is not a static thing. Like I'm born resilient and somebody else is not. No, it's actually you demonstrate resilience on a continuum based on the principles with which you decide to live. And so it's very much like rhythms in that way. You get to decide, do I want to do the work to be a person who demonstrates resilience when the storm comes again, which it probably will. Yeah, I think because, you know, you brought up going through different, you know, periods of your life and, you know, coming across different challenges. And I think with resilience, there's, I don't want to say like society has it wrong, that like we all have it wrong, because I think to me, at least when I hear resilience used most of the time, and even when I probably use the word resilience, it's this like quick bounce back, you know, you're easily snapping back and, and, you know, coming back from that rough patch you were in and yeah, you're just, you're resilient like that. And really, I think there's something more to it. And you talk about sort of, you kind of deconstruct, you know, resilience as we know it. And you emphasize like why this word is so important. And if you wouldn't mind sharing just like a little bit of that overview with with listeners and what you learned in sort of, you know, deconstructing resilience and looking at it from that outward lens and, um, you know, what, yeah. Your, your experience I'm, with that. I'm going to just read it because it'll be a lot faster uh-huh. and more succinct and edited. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's what is resilience really is the chapter. Chapter two, popular culture limits resilience to describe people who bounce back. And while I appreciate this, I see the term a bit broader. Bouncing back implies resilience is something simple and, and quick, such as the return of a ball bounced against a wall time and time again, that we could be the ball, right? tossed and retrieved, tossed and retrieved without eventually becoming cracked or deflated. And wouldn't it be nice if that were true? We are not people who simply bounce back. We experience all kinds of trouble. We endure unspeakable tragedy and ambiguous loss, both of which can take a lifetime to heal. We develop wounds and scars. Resilient people experience this pain with honesty and bravery, and they become stronger, not despite the resistance, but because the resistance. And so um, I, I think the original, the, um, the ability to, okay, let me just say this real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, th- Jesus didn't promise us this easy existence, right? He promised trouble, but he also promised that he would overcome all of this on our behalf. And so the holy resilience is really what I'm going after because the, the original um, definition in the Oxford English Dictionary in 1627 said to recoil or rebound. So that's where we get the bounce back. Mm-hmm. But then in, the 18, in 1824, a second definition was added associated with elasticity, which I think is what we're talking about here. And it's the power of resuming an original shape or position after compression being compressed, Mm -hmm. bending low. And one thing I have found in 2020, (laughs) we're three years in now, um, is that there's no end date sometimes to this compression, to this bending low, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're almost like weathering a storm that has yet to pass, or it's still left enough of an aftermath that we're still kind of crawling out. And that's Mm -hmm. the kind of resilience that is different. And, and the way, the way that I said, um, um, 
the way that I said this in the book is like it, the real resilience ones are not the ones who necessarily bounce back, but the ones who weather the storm and they, they stay when it was easier to leave. Right. And they endured and they, they, they actually became this fortified faith because, you know, they were, they were able to bend and they were humble and they took it. And I, you know, I guess for me as a special needs mom for 22 years, it's like, there's not an end date for Kate or joy with the things that they're navigating. For them, there's not an end date. And and honestly, for any of us, whatever trial we're enduring doesn't often have an end date, but God's going, are you just going to shift the way you see this adversity so that instead of it burying you and shutting you down, what is it going to awaken in you? What mm -hmm. is it going to heal in you? And what is it going to actually like leave a mark on your life and, and be part of your destiny? Then all of a sudden that adversity looks a lot different. Definitely. And and talking like hearing you say, you know, being weathered down and, and, you know, growing back from that, that's I, you know, took a screenshot actually, of the one it's page 33 in the book that really inspired me. And, and you talk about, you know, when we acknowledge that our lives do not look like we planned or imagined, we begin to make peace with this truth. And as we embrace that peace, we're beginning to be remade in the image of Christ. And mm -hmm. I just think that's, there's something really really beautiful about that. Yeah. And you also say, you know, we're truly resilient when we bring ourselves to Christ weathered and worn. And it is sort of like, you know, they talk about like the Phoenix, you know, rising from the ashes and you sort of have to, when you go through periods of, of hardness and hardship in your life and you're kind of, you know, crumbled down and, you know, worn down, you, you rise up eventually. And I think it's, that's sort of the, that elasticity that you were talking about, you're sort of being almost re reborn again in the sense that you're taking all that that you you endured, you know, those the pain, the suffering, the stress, the worry, all that you endured, and then like bouncing back into into something, um, you know, resilient. <laughs> there you yeah. have it. Um, yeah, but, I mean, yeah. you just look at Christ and the resurrection, right? Like he showed the scars. It wasn't like they still; it was still him. But it, it was like there was a broader picture of him. There was a fullness of him, like the divine story of healing and transformation was still part of it. And that was me. Like, I was like, I've had three C-sections, so I'm still the same girl, but I have like this scar that like just kept growing because I kept having babies. And then I have laugh lines from aging, you know, like I'm still, mm -hmm. we're still the same people, but there's a, there's a more, a broader grace filled weathered. Um, and when we're weathered, I mean, it sounds so like who wants to be weathered, quite frankly, but there's a tethering. Uh, and this sounds so cheesy, as I'm saying it out loud for the first time, but like, there's a tethering from being weathered, right? Tethered and weathered. <laughs> because yeah. it, like, it kind of keeps you kind of in the pocket of, of really what you're made for. And there's a maturity that comes with it and a solidarity that you like find people who are survivors and you're like, I got you. I, I see you. And I know it exactly what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And there's something really beautiful about that. Definitely. And, and, you know, in, in talking about in the book, you talk about adversity and you talk about your own experiences with the challenges you've, you know, come across in your life and how you handled that and, and, you know, dealt with it and, carried those experiences with you throughout the rest of your life, right. Into new challenges and to new seasons of life. Um, and I think that's, to me, that was very inspiring. Um, but you know, you talk about adversity and you talk about finding peace in these difficult moments. How have you just, you know, speaking from your own personal experiences, when it comes to finding peace, how have you found that in sort of the darker times in your life? And what advice do you give to others who are sort of in those dark places also looking to try and find, you know, peace with the the crazy times they're in and and to sort of find that light. Yeah, honestly, it's it's just kind of going back to the source of peace. So when Jesus says the peace I give the world cannot give, don't be troubled or afraid. Because really honestly what's killing our peace is our fear, our anxiety of of an unknown future. You know, anxiety simply put is imagining a future where God is not in it, right? Like that we're like left alone trying to battle the storm bending low, hanging on for dear life, 
not feeling like there's any covering of protection that's over us. And so I have to kind of go back to going like, why am I functioning as if you're not real right now or that you're not trustworthy? I don't know why. I don't know if it's like a muscle memory of like survival skills. I adapted at a young age, adopted and then adapted (laughs) of, you know, just this is, this is the girl who kind of like was flailing and pulled herself up by her bootstraps. And maybe in that season, it was necessary for my survival or for what I felt like needed to be done in that season. But God's like, that's not where you are right now. And I want you to continue to heal so that you don't, in fact, God got so loud for me in 2020, just saying, like in the middle of COVID on a walk in the woods, I was like, what am I supposed to learn? And I just, in, in my immediately in my spirit, I was like, you don't have to make things happen. I just had not known life without being one who makes things happen. As a firstborn, a type A, a control freak, some form of drive, but but what a comfort. Now, does that mean I never have to make things happen? No, I mean, I'm still an adult with children who need things. I'm still a boss with a team that needs mm-hmm. things. Like I, I I'm, I'm resourceful to steward what's been entrusted, but stewardship and striving is very different. And I'm just now coming to the place at, you know, 40, almost 50 of going like, okay, God, I want to walk with you through however many days we have left. And if you're my peace, and I feel anxious, then there's, we're like, we've disattached, right? It goes back to attachment theory. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like perfect peace comes with perfect attachment. And so have I, have I like untethered myself from the vine? Am I not abiding in you? Am I kind of like getting to scriptures? If maybe is what, am I talking to you as often as I was, is just the world's noise louder than you? Um, and it's not condemning at all. I never feel shame about it. It's more like, I'm curious going, right. why, why am I going back to the old mus- the old patterns or the old muscle memory? And God's so kind. He keeps going, just go back to just like the other night. I mean, this is just having, I'm in book launch season. This is stressful. Quite yeah. frankly, <laughs> it's like everything that I'm talking about. feels like it's been adversity, just dumb things. Like you just don't see coming, but it's what just happens in real life. And, um, I said, God, um, like, what do you want me to remember right now? And he goes, just go back to how this all started in the first place, go back to like the original invitation to, to receive from me and then to write about it, go back to the healing, go back to the supernatural, go back to me holding you and carrying you. Like, just remember, like, that's actually the story you're telling Mm-hmm. Not like all the neuroscience and all the things that you've researched and done. It's like you're stewarding something, but it was set in motion originally by my provision alone. And mm-hmm. that helps that helps me kind of stay in that place and come back to it when I start to feel anxious. Yeah. I think th- it's funny that you said that about, you know, 2020 and, and, you know, being that type A, I, I talked about that on, you know, several episodes in the past where I, I'm very much a planner. I, you know, plan things five steps out ahead of me, you know? Um, and then when the pandemic hit, it was sort of like, well, I can't really plan anything now. And I felt that the, that was sort of my challenge and um, almost like a God-given challenge to to deal with that during that time. And I, you know, I still struggle with that. We're in 2023 and I'm still kind of struggling with that uncertainty in times, but I feel like I did grow a lot from that experience um, from the year of 2020. And that was, you know, one of my things I had to, to sort of figure out, but I you know, I do find you, you talked, hearing you talk about, um, you know, finding peace in those chapters, it very much resembles sort of just like stripping back to, like you said, like where it all started, like back to the beginning, um, like why things matter, why you love what you're doing, why you care about something, all that. And I think when I approach or when I'm involved in very difficult times in my life, I try and strip all that extra stuff, you know, that I put on something and I try and strip it all back and say like, why does this matter? Why is this important to me? Why am I caring so much about this? Right? Like maybe sometimes things aren't as important as we make them out to be. Um, And I think kind of 
stripping everything back in that sense and going back to, you know, the get-go, if -hmm. you will. Um, that's been, you know, very, um, beneficial for me as well. So, like I said, I think there's so many things you talk about in this book that people can really, you know, take from and learn from. Um, but I would love to dive into quickly, you know, you talked about the, uh, first rule of resilience. If you wouldn't mind sort of just giving like a, a brief summary, (laughs) there's five rules that you talk about, but if you wouldn't mind just like diving in a little bit into those rules and, and how you came to sort of, you know, create those. Yeah. So they're just five. I like to create a framework for the reader. I need a framework. I need kind of a playbook and it's not because I'm legalistic, but it's just actionable, practical steps. And I realized in all the science of psychology and psychiatry, resilience was such a big theme. And there were so many opinions out there of like, what is resilience? And how do you get resilience and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying they weren't all correct or right or good. But like in my brain, I had to like, dial it down to like, how does this pair with what the Lord says? And so I just kind of created five rules of resilience, just quick, easy to remember. Um, and it's not rules like you're breaking the rules, but it just is like, these are guideposts. These are guardrails. Mm-hmm. And um, the first one is name the pain. And simply put, you've got to get the pain outside of your body. Your body is only like unraveling because you have not either had intimate friendship that's safe enough to tell the the deepest, darkest thing, or you're just so buried in shame that you think you're the only one who's ever walked through what you're, what you've done or what you face. And, but the minute you get it out of your body and you tell it to someone that's trustworthy, uh, preferably even someone that you're not paying, but if you need to begin with a counselor, Mm -hmm. um, that's okay, but it's got to go beyond counseling. It's got to actually get to your actual community, because if you lead with vulnerability, you'll find that people will go, oh, wow, you too. I thought I was the only one, like you'll actually build a resilient community immediately. If you just begin by naming the pain. Um, and so I tell that story and then. Um, first with Gabe and then with my friend at first with God, you can name the pain with God. Then you can name it with your, your, your next closest person. And then if you can name it within, you can start to concentrically circle that out. And I started to name it with my girlfriends. Now I name it in a book. (laughs) I name it with strangers. Um, and people are like, you're so raw. I was like, well, that's because God made it so safe for me to be raw. And as a result, now I don't have any shame. He healed me in the place with him. So now I actually have no shame about it anymore. It's more about this is what God is doing and what he's done. So it's, it's, it's a sweet thing. So naming the pain is the first one. The second rule is shifting the narrative. So shift the narrative. And that's kind of this idea of like, once you get it out there, it's like putting it on a whiteboard and going, okay, here's, here's what you've been carrying inside your body, um, inside your brain for maybe three decades, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, now it's all there. And you're like, wow, I cannot believe I bought into that for this amount of time. Like you're able to objectively stand back and go, that sounds crazy when I say it out loud. Like Mm -hmm. this is what I carried alone in isolation for forever. And I made agreement with it. And I rewrote lies that I just kind of indoctrinated myself with. Like, I will always be a terrible wife and mother. I'm a mess. I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm always nervous. I'm always anxious. Like we speak all this over ourselves and we wonder why we're buried. It's like our words have power. They have so much power. So getting them out there helps you go, Oh, wow. Okay. God, I'm going to invite you into this. Now, this is me unpacking like the trunk. And or maybe the basement (laughs) and going, um, I need you to show me what to like rid myself of, like take it to the dump. And then I need you to show me what is redeemable, like what never should have been there and needs to be burned. But then what is really actually maybe an anointing that you've given me, but it's been so distorted that I've run from it. So that's kind of weird and hard to explain, but shifting the narrative is very much going to the scriptures and going, God, what does God say about this? And what does the people he he's entrusted to me say about this? Um, and then as a result, you really start to right size your thinking mm-hmm. and you can begin to preach to yourself and retrain your brain. Those are two very important topics in that section. The third one is embrace adversity because now, now you kind of shifted trajectory, named it, shifted. 
And now you're like looking at pain head on. You're turning towards it. You're starting to get comfortable with it. You're no longer intimidated by the backyard bully of fear that grows when you avoid it. You're like, I feel like I've got some tools now in my tool belt to confront this. Like, you know what it feels like? You're like, there's just, there's like this like mama bear and you're like, no, you know, (laughs) but you wouldn't have said that back before you named the pain. Like you'd have been like, I'm, it's going to always be terrible. It's Mm -hmm. just a, it's, it's kind of like remarkable to me, like how quickly we can shift when we start to be serious about it. Um, Because when I said out loud to Gabe, I am broken and I'm afraid I will never change. When he met me with grace and compassion and held space for me and said, we're all broken. You're just more aware of it. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden that like just deflated the balloon, you know, the, and, and honestly, that one statement that felt like choking coming out of my body, I write the story in that chapter, but it literally sent me on a path to resilience. I, I like, I almost got stronger overnight. Um, I was like, oh, like the deepest, darkest secret didn't kill me. Like you met me with grace and mercy and compassion. And I realized I'm not alone. And so all that to say, you shift the narrative, you confront adversity. I talk about anxiety being a friend and that Mm -hmm. anxiety is kind of like the, um, (laughs) it's kind of like the, um, the, the check light on your car, like, Hey, you really should know that your brake pads are going out. Like, you know, we, it's a friend. It tells you all is not well. And there's something under the hood that must be examined. Mm-hmm. It's not like you just grew up with anxiety. No, like there's something, there's a story behind that story. And mm-hmm. so um, embracing it just is willingness to revisit it. Um, this time with like more of a vigilance of like, we're going to, we're going to take this down. Not like we're going to just hope, you know, like you just, you just feel more equipped. And so I give a lot of strategies and equipping for for that the fourth is make meaning which is really fun because when you get to this part of the journey you're like wow like I never picked to be special needs mama or anxiety girl but god look at the meaning that you've brought with it like look at the joy of helping people look at the like this is a life that I just feel like I wouldn't have made up if if I tried and I'm so thankful for it I can't there's so much purpose in it when you can take what you've learned and give it to somebody else and you watch them be free, you're like, there's nothing more powerful than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's making meaning and beauty, places of beauty and cultivating and finding work where you leave a part of yourself in it and experiencing the fullness of God and seasons and just people. I don't know. It's just, there's a fullness that starts to emerge of like you uh, understanding and grasping all the goodness that God has always had all around you, but buried in fear, you never saw it. And then the final rule is endure together. And I think that just kind of, you know, icing on the cake. There's a thread of enduring together throughout all the rules. But it's just just this idea of like, we're not going to ever build resilient lives alone. And not only is it going to be about us, and we do this in community, and we're all getting resilient together, then we build resilient communities. And then we become a sitting on a hill, right? We become a beacon of light. We become... I don't know, salt of the earth. Like it just becomes like a light post. I think of, of hope for a very dark and sad and discouraged, defeated world. It's like, wow. Okay. God, it doesn't mean that we're not facing trouble here at home, but it does mean we are powered by a love that never fails. And so we can rest in that. And man, what a confidence that comes with that. Not an arrogance, definitely a dependence, Mm -hmm. but also a confidence. Right. I, I'm so happy you shared because for me, I think the the final two steps, meaning and you know, enduring together, that's what really so much of this book just related to what I've been going through in my own life. You know, I've talked about it. I feel like this season I made it a mission to talk about my myself more. I'm very known for like the podcast. I love handing the mic over to other people because I like learning from others. But I found that this season, um, you know, we're stepping into our fourth season with the podcast. I want to talk more and share more about things I have going on. So for me, one of the reasons why this book related so much to that I, you know, found so much significance within it is I so been dealing with a lot of craziness lately, you know, podcasting, working, um, getting my master's in the UK. So I've been traveling, which has been like a lot of traveling back and forth and, in the midst of all that for my master's, I I 
directed my first documentary film this past year. So I did a a 35 minute short film on motherhood and it's in the post-production. So it's just getting, um, you know, some, some final edits done to it and it'll be released later this year. But the, so much this book stood out to me because in your story as a mom and what you, you know, you've sort of endured as a mother stood out to me. Um, because in my, in my film, we also talk about, um, uh, special needs. And my aunt actually, you know, she's a mom to a special needs child, my cousin, and she's Mm. in my, she's in my documentary. She's one of the four moms that are featured. And I think why this book, why I saw so much beauty, you know, you talk about meaning and I said all summer long, I filmed, you know, the, the film I filmed last summer into the fall and I, it was the most challenging time of my life. You know, those few months, I was a jittery mess. I didn't feel good. I was stressed. I couldn't sleep. I was, you know, pretty much I was leading this thing, right? I was directing this film. I had four women who were, you know, sharing their lives and their stories. I wanted to make sure that this film, you know, that I was getting their stories across. So much was riding on this, right? In my Mm. head, physically, a lot was going on. And I was so stressed and so challenged by that time. But I took so much away from it. I found so much meaning within it. And as it it sounds so crazy, because I I, I said to everybody, I'm like, it's the most challenging thing, but the most rewarding thing. And I think, you know, you talk about that in this book, you, you find so much reward within those periods of, of stress, those periods of sadness, periods of pain, whatever it may be, you, you find something rewarding within that you grow from that. You know, you, you become more resilient. And then I think, you know, one thing I learned from the moms in my film and just, you know, very similar to your journey as a mom. That's why I I was so excited to have you on um, because I really just, I fell in love with your story and, you know, the things that you've endured as a mother and, you know, how they've just made you that much more stronger as a person is so inspiring. And you reminded me a lot of the moms that I featured in my film because within them sharing their stories, not only was I just blown away and inspired as, you know, a a young woman with no kids at the moment, and I just was so inspired by them, but I saw in them sharing their stories, how much mutual experience, so much shared experience between that, even though these four women did not know each other, right? They were all in different parts of the States. And hearing their stories and the challenges and the themes, different, you know, different themes of their of their lives that they've dealt with. Mm. There's so much shared within that. And you talk about, you know, that shared in- endurance. Yeah. You know, what we endure together, we may not even realize it. And we don't really realize it until we start talking about it. And, you know, that story you talked about with your husband is so beautiful because you, you know, you were brave enough to, to realize and mm. to acknowledge that. And I think if more people did that, we'd all be really surprised as to like how much, you know, we have in common. And mm. in doing that, we form that community, which I think is is just super important. So I, I think can't wait to I've watch got. your documentary. <laughs> oh, I'll be, I'll be sure I, to send you a link once it's out. I'm very excited. To. It's so sweet to just capture that, I'm sure. And you're right. I think those those seasons of the greatest trial are the greatest teachers. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could still quote verbatim, like things that happened very, they're so embedded in my memory bank because they were so front and center when the year Kate was born, the year we moved to New York, the year we adopted Joy 2020. But the good thing is, is there's been enough time to get past it and to look back and be grateful for it. And I think right now people are not yet there for the last three years. They are drowning. Many are still drowning in it because it feels too soon. And it almost feels like they haven't made peace with it and they haven't found purpose from it. And it will take a little longer. I think it was just fairly traumatic on a global scale. And let's just be honest, it just keeps smart. Like there's always a Mm -hmm. new like emergency. And so I think honestly, partly the news cycle depends on emergencies. It like, it's just great clickbait and it keeps people anxious at all times. But at some point we just got to like silence the noise and go like, no, like here's what I know to be real right in front of me. And Mm -hmm. how do I heal, create a healthy space from the onslaught of chaos so I can heal. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it'll take discernment and wisdom to do that. But the more we're able to do that proactively and not reactively, we'll be able to look back on the season with gratitude as well. It's hard to say. It's hard to explain. We'll have some time to do that. It doesn't have to happen tomorrow. But those who are more resilient, it's not that I've bounced back. I'm still mm-hmm. feeling the full weight of it. I lost my mother-in-law to COVID. So like I feel the full weight mm-hmm. of it. But also she had battled ovarian cancer for three years and the, the the worst part is we didn't even get to see her like 18 months of that because she was we were all so fearful mm-hmm. that she would get it and then meanwhile she still gets it it's like you just don't you're not promised tomorrow and I just mm-hmm. I kind of took from that and I write about her in the book but I um I took from that like I want to live like today is like precious and it's a gift and I don't want to live in fear. And I know there will be still things that just completely blow us like blindsided, like our shooting in Nashville and like just our city Mm -hmm. recovering from that, whatever it is. But God is still going like, I can hold you in this. I'm grieving with you. You're not alone. I will carry you through this. There will be something, there will be a silver lining on the other side of this, not to like minimize it. There will still be redemption somehow, some way. And that kind of, because we've seen it time and time again, that does make us more resilient. It makes us more trusting, more dependent, and more optimistic, quite frankly, that we're like, okay, this is, I'm not alone. And this is not the end of my story. Like I, that's what I just started telling people the last three years, you're not alone. And this is not the end of your story. And if you can just hang on to that truth, like you can share that burden with you, with others, God, your people. Mm-hmm. And then you can also go, God, there's something you want me to learn. There's something I'm going to grow in. And I, and I want, I am open and ready to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's, it's so true because I mean, like you said, just, geez, like we're not even through April yet. And just this month just feels so, so heavy. There's been so much going on. Um, whether on you know a national level, a global level, and just personally within within our own lives, like I just this past week, I, I know several people who have passed, um, you know things that have happened, unfortunate things that have happened on a local level, and it just and like you said, you turn on the news and it can just seem like such a dark place, um, and and quite frankly, like I don't <laughs> I don't know how on that big scale, we're, we're going to be able to get through things. I, I, I hope, um, there's so much going on in the world that I, I hope with just change and people using their voices, um, you know, yeah. those things will be able to, to change. But I think for ourselves, um, I, myself in getting through these darker times, um, it's, it's devastating. Right. And I, I think for me, I just, somebody, somebody asked me recently, like, it's just like such a crazy time we're in, like, what, what do any of us do? And I just said, I just have to believe that, you know, within the world, like there's, there is so much good. There's a lot of evil in the world, but there's a lot of good. And I, I choose to just focus on the beauty and as for the ugly and the evil, like, how can we fix that? So that's how I choose to like, get through those times. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, you talk, like I said, you talk about so much of this in the book and I, I don't want to spoil, you know, too much because I really do want people to, to go out there and read it. Cause I think there's, you know, and, and all your works, like you said, you, you have, you know, the books you've written, they really address different points of your life, but there's so many life lessons that I think anyone can really, you know, take away from it. Um, and I, I truly, I don't think it's just people of faith because so many of the things you talk about in this, right. Anxiety, stress, these different, um, roadblocks, these obstacles, like it's, there are things everybody kind of deals with on some level. And I think, yeah, just there, there's so much that can be taken away from it. And, you know, as we sort of wrap, I would love to ask, um, before we get into my, my final notable final question, um, I would love to ask, you know, for anybody in need of, I guess, okay, I'll ask you this. What are you hoping that this book will do for others? Mm, That's good. So I, I hope that this book will instill confidence in people, like a sense of agency that I think they lost three years ago. 
powerless to like told to kind of go home and sit on your hands and wait. And we aren't people who are made to sit idle while things are falling apart. Like that's actually not how we were created. And so it can really rob us of the dignity of agency. And so I'm hopeful that people will step into how they've been made and created and just be more proactive on taking these small steps. Doesn't have to be a massive step, but just take a small step of inviting somebody in and saying what is true. And as they do that, they will gain, they will gain courage. They will gain strength. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They will gain hope and they will gain meaning. And like, I really, I want it to be just actionable, practical, approachable, but in the end, I pray that it, um, that it builds confidence in people to say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of this. I'm made for this. I'm stronger than I realized not on my own, but with people around me and with whatever faith I, I harness, like there's a, there's a, there's like a collective thing that is stronger than we give ourselves credit for. Mm-hmm. And that they'll like find the confidence, not just for themselves, but even if they're moms for their kids, mm-hmm. um, because you can't give what you haven't received. And so if you're a mom, that's kind of flailing, there's a strong chance your kids are looking to you for some sense of solidarity and resilience. And so honestly, for my kids, that was a driving factor for me to go like, I want to be well, I want to, I want to ha- I want to raise a confident daughter and mm-hmm. I want to raise, raise resilient kids. And so I've got, I've got to go back to boot camp a little bit myself so that they can model who I am, not what I'm trying to tell them. And so that's my goal. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's beautiful. And I, you know, I talked about my doc earlier and just hearing you talk about motherhood there. Um, one of the contributors in the doc, she, she says something along those lines where, um, you know, when her child was sick, she says, you know, the nurse told her in that moment, you know, don't cry in front of him because he doesn't know anything, but what, you know, Mm. and I think in terms of being well, feeling well, all of that, you know, you have to be good first in order for your children to, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and it's not just children, like your friends, your, your colleagues, anybody, like you have to be in a good place in order to help others. Right. Yeah. And we all want to get to a point where we can all help each other. I think, I hope, <laughs> yeah. um, I want that, you know, in, in my, in my friendships and my, and my families and, and, um, I, I do. I think there's there's so much within this book that I think people can walk away um, having learned a lot from, and I think part of that is because you're so you know vulnerable and sharing your story, which I think is just so wonderful. Because um, you know, like you didn't have to do that, but you chose to really open up, and I just think that action alone is something so. Um, I don't know. It's just so important to be taken, you know, to take away from just that action alone. Um, and, and how opening up your soul and opening up, uh, just your thoughts and your feelings and telling people, this is what I've been going through. This is how I'm trying to get through it. And there, there's something really, really powerful within that. So, um, Rebecca, like I said, this, this book, I I just hope people go out and read it and it'll be out by the time this episode airs, it'll be out. Um, I, I, I think there's just, it's just such a wonderful book and it helped me so much, I think, in honing in on what I've been dealing with and why those moments mm. are important. Mm. What they've taught me and what they're teaching me currently, um, yeah. I think is it was really necessary for me to read. So I appreciate that. Um, but I always love to end on um, the question being with this being handling it. Has there been a piece of advice, um, a lesson you've learned? Maybe it's something you talked about in the book. Maybe it's something you didn't talk about in the book. Has there been something that's really helped you handle your life over the years? Yeah. I mean, I think the theme of the book, and I write about it early on, is just that pain can become purpose if you let it. And that's the key phrase is if you let it. Like Adversity offers us a choice. Will we choose despair or defeat or will we choose redemption or hope? Mm-hmm. And we we get to decide. That's what's cool. Like we actually get to decide. And I think we've forgotten that, that we just are like, no, I'm powerless to the media or powerless to social media or 
I'm just like, I don't have agencies like, no, you actually do. So maybe back up for a minute and Mm -hmm. go, what do I really want? And that's why I tackle that in that chapter on what do we really want? Like longing, like, can you really actually say out loud, what do you want out of life? And if you could, what would it be? And so I think um, pain will become purpose if you let it. And that's a good thing because we've all had a lot of that. So Mm -hmm. that means there's only beauty in walking through something hard. It will give you something that you can offer to someone else. And like you said earlier, like not everyone wants to offer something to someone else because you can't give what you haven't received. But when you begin to heal, Mm -hmm. you, you know, when you're sick, you look inward and you only see what is broken. But when you begin a healing journey, you look up and you look out and you begin to see everyone else and you can't not care because we just are women and we can't not care. Mm -hmm. And so when you've started to find freedom in certain areas, you're going to see somebody else struggling. The tears will come for you because you were there and you know it and you'll go like, hey, you know, you're not alone and this is not the end of your story. And that's another phrase I say a lot, like, you know, pain will become purpose and this is not the end of Mm -hmm. your story. Like, come on, let's do this. And I, so I hope that that's, um, that would be it. That would be Mm -hmm. it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? I think that's, that's such a powerful, just mindset to end on. Um, I think that alone is just really, really powerful. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for for coming on and sharing your story. And yeah, I I can't wait for people to go, to go buy the book and, and to give it a read. Thank you, friend. So fun to get to know you here and just hear, just get to know you more. And I love your heart and I love what you do and keep doing what you're doing. It's helping a lot of people. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Rebecca. Her compassion and grace is so moving. And there are so many golden nuggets of advice that she offers in her book. If you'd like to check out Building a Resilient Life, there's a link to do so in the show notes, as well as a link to Rebecca's Rhythms for Life podcast and her social media info. Thank you to Rebecca so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I will see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.